heard of Colonel Walter E. Kurtz? Your mission is to terminate the Colonel's command. Terminate? Terminate with extreme prejudice. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. my favorite film podcast it's me gav smith back again for another one of these wonderful episodes this time one of those war films that kind of changed the history of war films in my eyes anyway and i'm joined by a guy who i'm going to describe as a bit of a jack of all trades alfie noakes alfie hello lovely to meet you can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do that type of stuff yeah hello gav thank you for having me on the show uh i'm alfie noakes i run a group called the we are funny project in london which uh ostensibly looks after grassroots comedy but because we've been doing it for over 10 years some of those grassroots have bloomed into some substantial comedians i'm not a comedian i uh, am an mc booker promoter but most recently a comedy coach and a creator of online courses i've been in comedy for 13 years but for 13 years prior to that i was a movie journalist i did most of the movie shows uh, that you might have watched on television in the 90s and the noughties so half comedy type figure and half uh movie know-all so basically you know your movies i do and you know your comedy as well i do and i know this show is of course called my favorite film i actually used to i used to work at radio one um uh i was on the film show for mark kermode i was his reporter and i used to um, go out and conduct interviews for a slot we had called a night in casablanca and it was essentially desert island discs but for movies and there were just three titles the people get to speak about so i love the way you've passed it right down to one and the just fact one, is yeah. when we first spoke you know apocalypse now was my choice but on any day on any other day it could be one of the 10 films it could be um yeah. you know passive glory it could be 2001 it could be bitter moon it could be bad santa the blues brothers you know there's easily yeah. 10 or 20 films that yeah. gravitate around this number one but today it's apocalypse now cool i think there's many people that have been on the show that have done very very similar things in fact i spoke to someone just the other week about pale rider and pale rider certainly wasn't his favorite film but it was a case of do you know what it's clint eastwood one of my favorite actors i love everything he's done let's talk about something that's not his biggest film he's ever made but it's one that needs a bit of airplay basically, basically. yeah so, no i respect that yeah. i've sometimes imagined if i was on desert island discs you know what i just put pick some kind of hardcore rave track just to blow the minds of radio <laughs> for listeners at a certain time of the week and you know apocalypse now is absolutely my favorite film but on a different day in a different mood i could say that by about probably 10 other movies yeah i think I'm, I'm probably the same i have done my favorite film on this before but it's probably one of what another. is your favorite film i'm curious uh, it's highlander ah okay there can be only one that makes perfect sense okay Ab- yeah. absolutely but it, that's only it's just because it's a uh, no, don't justify it to me. I love Highlander. Yeah. Can, can I tell you a little brief story before we start proper? Love, love it. Go on. Okay, so a few years ago, uh, between failed uh, uh, enterprises, <laughs> I decided to try and uh, run an, um, a drive-in movie, uh, which mm. has since happened. It's a lot, been a lot more common, but 15 years ago, it really, yeah. really wasn't in England. And yeah. uh, I was, you know, a movie geek heaven. I'm going to get to create my own drive-in movie. It will be a double <laughs> bill. Which two films do I do I go for? Oh, yeah. And ultimately, the marketing, the marketing appeal forced me into Dirty Dancing, which is, you know, a perfectly good film. Yeah. I like Dirty Dancing, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't yeah. in the top 100 list of what I truly <laughs> wanted to see. No. It's got that 50s vibe, the drive-in film. It was yeah, entirely yeah, appropriate. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, while I was fantasizing about what I might show at my genuinely going to happen drive-in movie, uh, yeah. I really conjured with the idea of having some kind of interactivity. I was probably a bit inspired by secret cinema. And I was yeah. going to show Highlander. Uh, it was going to have mm -hmm. a capacity of 2,000 people. And I was going to give everybody on the way in a big cardboard tube. So when there's the final face-off <laughs> between Conor McLeod and the Kurgan, everybody's yeah. got a cardboard tube and there'll just be like a massive cardboard tube sword <laughs> fight happening in the foreground at this oh. drive-in movie in the grand city oh. of Hull. That but sadly, brilliant. the marketing research told me Dirty Dancing had to win the day. And what do you do there with your interaction? Can't everyone uh, jump in everybody's arms, can you? <laughs> no. <laughs> everyone no, could have stood in the corner, that. I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> called Baby. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was just my brief Highlander fantasy brought back to life for the first time in 15 years. Apocalypse Now, let's do it. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Okay, so Francis Ford Coppola, fantastic film. Um, as I said, it kind of, I think personally, it changed the way war films were looked at and what war films were about. Can you, though, give us, a, I guess, a plot synopsis of Apocalypse Now? Yeah, I mean, uh, Apocalypse Now is based on a book by Joseph Conrad called Heart of yeah. Darkness, which is yeah. originally about an ivory trader who'd gone rogue, and uh, Coppola and the writer John Milius supplanted it as a Vietnam War parallel. The film was started shooting three years after the Vietnam War wrapped, shot in the Philippines, obviously, as a, as a stand-in for Vietnam. But essentially, it's the role of a, um, a soldier called Willard, played by Martin Sheen, who is given a private mission by the CIA to go after a rogue officer called Colonel Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando. And he effectively has to travel up the Mekong River in Vietnam into kind of uncontrolled territory, witnessing yeah. the madness of war as he travels to ultimately yeah. find the man that he's being tasked to assassinate all the time, curious as to why he's being tasked this way. And is he in fact worthy of assassination? Is he in fact some kind of brilliant man? And it is a journey into the mouth of madness, no question. And although it is a war film, there's not well, there is there's a lot of war in it, but it's not your traditional yeah, war film. You don't kind of just go over the top with the soldiers and see lots of shooting, whatever else. There's bits of that in it, but there's a that as you say that bigger aspect of moving into the mouth of madness, I suppose, and his journey. Yeah, I mean it. It's set in a war zone, but we're not really, yeah. we, you know, we're barely dealing with the Viet Cong at this point. This is yeah. a this is an attack upon the nature of war upon itself. It's a modern mm. setting um, because Vietnam has just happened and America is still dealing with the scars of that very open scars in 1979 when the film was Absolutely, released. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I think every war film that has ever been, it's well, actually, that's highly debatable if you consider something such as Top Gun a war movie. But yeah. every serious war film, and I love Top Gun, I'm not mocking it, but every nope. serious war film is always an anti-war film. Um, whether you're looking at yeah. Dr. Strange, Love, Paths of Glory, uh, yeah, Dunkirk, yeah. whatever it might happen to be, they always are. But this is a scratch beneath the surface of the madness that is foisted upon them. The madness yeah. that men must uh, endure to, to survive or to proceed further. But this is a man's singular journey with some wonderful supporting colourful characters around him yeah, that we, yeah, yeah. we become familiar with. And as and when we might lose them, you know, we feel that as viewers. We feel Willard's pain. We feel his yeah. descent into madness. And then he encounters yeah. a different type of madness in the form of Colonel Kurtz. And there's little glimpses of genius and wonder as we as we follow these men uh, as they encounter each other ultimately. Well, and we'll talk a lot about those different bits as we go through, I guess. Um, but let's start at the beginning, I suppose. When, when did you first see Apocalypse Now? My first awareness of the film was my elder brother, five years older than me, used to have the poster right. on his bedroom door. And it's the original classic oh, right. poster with predominantly a bald Marlon Brando. And it yeah, scared yeah. me. 
I was yeah. genuinely scared of yeah. this poster I because I think one. I was about six or seven, and he's quite sophisticated now. I think about it for an yeah. eleven or a twelve-year-old. Um, <laughs> oh, so that eleven kind or twelve, ca- I guess it would have been about that. Yeah, with that poster um, on the door. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I didn't realize my brother was that sophisticated, but apparently yeah. so. So that captured my imagination. Yeah. And then um, I guess we're going into the Betamax kind of era. It must have been yeah. seen when we had a Betamax player for, for the youngsters. That's the VCR for the <laughs> not quite so young. The VCR was a pre-DVD player. For those who were a bit younger, a DVD player is what we had before streaming. So we are going back the better part of 40 years. I think it was yeah. just a case of sneaking into my brother's room and watching the film on his VCR when he wasn't in. I just have yeah. fleeting glimpses of that. There are, of course, really striking scenes throughout the film. You know, something yeah. pounding happens every few minutes. But I think over above anything, it's the helicopter attack with the ride of, of the Valkyries. That was Absolutely, just yeah. like the most stunning action sequence that these little eyes had ever seen at that point. You know, that's certainly one of the scenes that I think if anyone, if they haven't seen the film, they'll know mm. that scene. It's yeah. one of those used ones, one of the ones that's, supposed to even been spoofed and parodied in, in some way so it's yeah that's a big scene isn't it and also you know in this day and age of kind of cgi i mean we're going back 20 years of the film like oh, pearl yeah. harbor the michael bay film whatever people yeah. say about that film and it's typically negative fair play those action sequences are pretty impressive but it's the cgi elements you know one of the reasons yeah. we love chris nolan as much as we all do is because he doesn't really play the cgi game it doesn't look yeah. like a goddamn computer game and coppola yeah. You know, he had half of the Philippine Air Force on hire to allow him to to shoot that scene. And there was, in fact, a civil war going on in the Philippines at the time. So he's setting up some right. arguably the most complex, large scale action sequences in cinema history. And he's just about to yeah. shoot action. And then they hear some rebels have attacked somewhere nearby and the Philippine Army take the Philippine Air Force, take their resources, go off. Yeah. Fight some rebels, come back and they try again. You know, there's a stunning issue. You know, there's a stunning... Oh documentary that goes along with apocalypse now of course it's the gift that keeps on giving in so many ways because you can watch the original cut which is just stupendous and that's what i'm referring to here yeah but there's also a documentary made by coppola's wife eleanor coppola called uh heart of darkness a filmmaker's apocalypse Uh, because they were just stuck in the jungle for so long with the the crew and the cast all went insane as well and yeah, she's yeah, doing a right. kind of behind-the-scenes documentary. So if you love the film, you can then gravitate towards the behind-the-scenes, which is arguably about 1% behind the quality of the film itself. It's fascinating. <laughs> wow. And then we can jump forward to 2001, and they released um, the Redux version with about Redux, an extra yeah. 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, think about five years ago now, excuse me, pandemic skewed my time scale. Uh, yeah. and then they brought out the final clear. cut as well. The final cut. Yeah. So it's you can kind of keep revisiting this film from different angles. And it's so grand. Yeah. I think it's one of those films which only a few can pull it off that you can really revisit it about every five years and feel almost the same level of awe and find a new level in the film because you yourself have grown yeah. as an individual. And that's been true for me for about 30 years now. Every five yeah. years, I find a new level. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm, I'm probably a similar age to you. I um, certainly remember the Max era and that type of thing. And I know I saw this first on VHS. Probably went down to Blockbusters and saw it on the mm-hmm. shelf and thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look at that and watched it. But, yeah, it's having revisited the, the older I've got, it is a very different film when you watch it from a, a young guy watching it, going, oh, action scenes and that type of thing. But to, to now and seeing this, there's more in the descent to madness, I suppose, when you get older and you understand yes. what happened in the war and that type of thing to 
to pick through, I guess. Um, yeah, in my early days as a teenager, it was great action scenes yeah. with some kind of wild, kooky characters. I had no <laughs> bearing at all as to what had happened in the Vietnam War as an yeah. Englishman in the 1980s. Yeah. It just wasn't on my radar. Um, but it still served a highly entertaining purpose. But almost every time I revisit it, there's something else there. I, uh, I think I must have taken at least 20 people to see it for the first time because I have the privilege of living in London where we've got the Prince Charles Cinema who seem yeah. to show it at least a couple of times a year. And I think yeah. almost every year for 20 years, I've taken somebody to it to see it for the first time. So I can wow. kind of live vicariously wow. through their eyes. And I am yet to have anybody uh, be anything other than grateful to me for bringing them that experience. Yeah. It's not my, I mean, yeah, you know, Coppola did yeah. that, you know, the crew did yeah. that. But I Absolutely. do get the pleasure you, of delivering people. it to new viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I must admit, I was going to say, have you, have you seen the big screen? I, I was kind of thinking, as someone who's worked in the film journalist industry for so long you must have seen the big screen but yeah you obviously go and you take people i actually i actually had the great pleasure of uh going to the world premiere of the final cut at the Cannes festival in 2001 which was kind of a highlight of my film journalistic career i mean that was arguably the most i ever wanted to see a film and Mm. every single week i had a job where there was a film i really wanted to see and got to see a bit (laughs) yeah but yeah i've probably seen it on the big screen easily 15 times primarily because i keep taking friends who have stupid not had the chance to see it so or yeah. taking the chance to see it so uh, i make that chance available god bless yeah. the prince charles cinema yes yeah i've heard good things about it but i don't live in london so i've never been down there i'll, I'll be honest to say i've never seen this on the big screen i've seen it on it's a shame you've got lo- a treat ahead of you televisions but, but yeah yeah one one day i will see it on the cinema and go i'm, I'm going i'm gonna go and see it but so far it hasn't happened Okay, well, that treats yeah. away to you, but you, you obviously appreciate how good it is, even on a smaller screen. Oh, yeah, I mean, I've I've seen it on my small screen. I've I've had different sizes of televisions that I've seen on different times, different shapes yeah. and sizes. You know, remember the old square ones first, and now slightly yeah. wider ones. The three by yeah. fours. So you said that you were attracted to it because you were scared of the poster on your brother's door, which mm-hmm. is an amazing thing to get you to. So going into this film, what did you know about it? What I mean, from that poster, I wouldn't have known what it was about. I think seeing the poster the first time, even the box cover, I don't think I was unsure sure what it was about. What were you no, expecting I think I, when you saw the, this? The title confused me. I mean, even to this day, it's open to a degree of interpretation. It's not exactly Absolutely. a blockbuster-selling title, Apocalypse Now. No, um, no. So that in itself kind of bamboozled me to some extent, and I could probably make the argument these days it could mean two or three things. Um, yeah, yeah. That very first time I saw it, I'm almost going to skip past that. I was just a kid, cheekily trying yeah. to kind of see the thing I wasn't supposed to. By the time I was kind I of so, yeah. 15 or so and watching it, again, you know, I was very much a Joel Silver movie action kind of a guy, you know, the lead yeah, yeah. of the Die Hards, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still enjoyed it for its its action scenes. And, and, you know, I was really caught by Dennis Hopper in particular and still am. But yeah. I would somehow, somehow or other revisit it each year and then very quickly it helped me grow as somebody who appreciated film because I started yeah. seeing the levels and the layers to it. And then when you do see that accompanying documentary, you just go, oh my God, I've got to watch it again now. No hardship. Because, you yeah. know, Dennis Hopper is off his tits on acid through the entire production. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a joke. He literally no, is. No, he was, yeah. Tripping all the way through. You know, there's a wonderful scene in uh, Filmmaker's Apocalypse where you, you know, Ellen is filming B-roll of uh, Coppola, Francis Coppola, trying to direct Dennis Hopper, and he takes off his sunglasses and he's pointing at all the, the cracks, the broken lens on his glasses, and he's like, Francis, every one of these represents a life I've saved. I mean, he is off his face. Yeah. 
And Brando hasn't arrived yet, and he's just naturally more mad than Dennis Hopper on acid. Plus, there's a revolution going on in the country. You know, Harvey Keitel, most people don't know this. Martin Sheen's the lead actor in the film, and he is marvellous as Willard. Oh, yeah. But the original actor was Harvey Keitel, and they shot in the jungle for something like two months. And then Coppola went, he's not doing it, he's not cutting it. Fired Harvey Keitel, closed down production, all of which Coppola's paying for out of his own money from the, you know, Zoetrope studios making stuff yeah, yeah. you know cashing in on godfather one and two yeah um so he's bankrolling you know probably tens hundreds of thousands of pounds a day people are going down with malaria left right and center while he recasts the movie with the other than badlands unknown martin sheen and then starts yeah. all over again and then a few weeks into production martin sheen has a heart attack and nearly dies you know in in the documentary there's this footage of i don't know how old he is maybe 12 years old 12 year old charlie yeah. sheen at his fallen father's bedside with everybody wow. fearful that Martin Sheen's going to die. You know, as I say, wow. the, the madness in the, on the screen, the journey into madness, the madness yep. of the scenario of how they made this film, and then yep. it was captured in the documentary as well. Honestly, there's just wow. joy and delight and insanity and colour and action everywhere you look. I must admit, I haven't seen the documentary, but I'm going to have to find it now. I'm going to have to watch May, it. That sounds, May, it sounds fascinating. It really does. Joy. You've got a joy yeah. ahead of you. It's the best yeah. behind the scenes of a film ever. I'll, I will have to find it and, and watch it. I'm sure it'll be available somewhere to stream. So I'll I have hope a look so. And yeah, I'm find sure it, it is. Yeah. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. You mentioned then Martin Sheen there and the fact that Badlands was kind of the only thing he'd done before this. I mean, he, he'd done a bit of TV here and there and everywhere, but Badlands was his only major film credit to this point. Why do you think someone like Martin Sheen became a great choice then to replace someone like Harvey Keitel, who I guess at that point had done quite a few other things as well. Well, he'd certainly done um, Taxi Driver that we would have been yeah. fairly hot off Taxi Driver and the like. Do you know what? There's, there's kind of an understanding in, in film and uh, great art, really, uh, in bands. Like, somebody's probably not going to be a great singer, world acknowledged, yeah. if their voice sounds anybody likes anybody else's. It doesn't matter what kind of music you like. True. There is only one Adele, there is only one Axl Rose, there is only one a, yeah. you know, fill in the blank. There's lots of great singers, but they can be cut and pastes, you know? And yeah. so it is with leading actors. I think a really good way of establishing if somebody truly nailed a role is at the end of the film, can you imagine somebody else in that role? So yeah. while I like the film I, Robot, the weakest spot in that film is Will Smith. He is yeah. awful in a good film. That's good enough for me because I like Will Smith yeah. otherwise. I yeah. have tried to imagine Harvey Keitel in the role of Willard that Martin Sheen nails, and I can't. Yeah. I literally can't do it. So Coppola once again, and he has made some bad casting choices in his career, let's be honest, certainly in the yeah, more recent years. Yeah. But early days, he nailed it almost every time. I can't imagine anybody else capturing that. And it's not like you look at him and he looks like an assassin or a soldier no. or a hard-bitten man. He's a good-looking guy, the young Martin Sheen, but he's not yep, exactly definitely. A-list movie star looks. He is arguably somebody you could pass in the street and not turn around to look at the way yeah. that you surely would have done with a Robert Redford or, or you know actors of the same era, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not quite sure how he found Sheen. He's notorious, Coppola, for fighting really hard with the studio to get Al Pacino, like to get The Godfather made his first big break. He was ready to yeah, blow yeah. it all up unless they let him have Pacino. That's a notorious fight in Hollywood history. Yeah, yeah. Um, this time he owned the studio. It was his studio, so he got to Absolutely. call it. Really but he didn't, he didn't fall back and go, we better get a bankable star. He took a no-name actor. And yeah. banked on the fact that he's a great actor, and he is. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and as you say, you know, 
you do try and picture that film with somebody else in that role, and I, I must admit, I can't picture anybody else playing that role. He's got a very... There's a quiet kind of menace yes. about him in the film. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. And you can see why, after this, he became big. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, there, there's a couple of things worthy in that. Um, you know, as I said, they didn't take one of the A-list actors to kind of, you know, this film is hemorrhaging money. I expect it to be much as, like, Titanic was. You know, nearly yeah. twenty years later, like it can't possibly make its money back. It's it's yeah. just too expensive. It's getting out of control. Every now yeah. and again, you get these legends. Waterworld with Kevin Costner actually made yeah. money, but the press yeah. spent a year telling you it never could. Titanic yeah. is like it's going to have to make a billion to make its money back. That's impossible. Yeah. No film's ever made a billion. It made yeah. two. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. Apocalypse Now has made its money back, but Harrison Ford's in this film effectively in a cameo role. Yes, so therefore, is, right at the beginning of the film, he could have gone for the easy shot and got, you know, Han Solo. He's between Han Solo and Indiana Jones. It's slap bang Absolutely, in the middle yeah. of Star Wars and yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So he yeah. had Harrison Ford there on set and available and still went for Martin Sheen. And while I yeah. like Harrison Ford, Martin Sheen was still the right. I, th- I think you're probably right. It might be interesting to see what Harrison Ford would have done with the role, but I think mm-hmm. it would have been a, a very different film if he'd been. I think it would have been good, that, just not as good as Martin Sheen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. You said there, obviously, Coppola's now owns the company, and he's he's basically making this based on the bankroll he's already made from Godfather 1 and 2, because that's kind of his legacy at this point. He's made Godfather, made Godfather 2. He's got loads of money. He's got loads of clout in the industry all of a sudden from this. Is that how he manages to make a film with the, that long shoot that he's had and still mm-hmm. make it successful? Yeah. Is that why people were happy to stay with him, you think, in in terrible environment that he had? Well, people are happy to stay with him because he's a legend who made the Godfather films. He's an inspiring leader of men who's clearly already an established visionary and he's paying the bills. You know, (laughs) Coppola kicked down the fences of studio interference. Now, I think, broadly speaking, you know, Robert Evans was the head of Paramount Studios, the legendary producer Robert Evans, who gave, you know, brought in kind of Rosemary's Baby and Polanski, Chinatown. I mean, legendary films are made under his direction at Paramount, under his supervision at Paramount. But but fundamentally, Coppola didn't want any kind of interference. So he said, right, I'm going to take all of my big chunk of change that I made from The Godfathers, two of the biggest films of the 70s of all time. And I'm going to create my own studio, Zoetrope Studios. And I don't know if it was his first, certainly one of the first. And I'm going to put all the money behind this blockbuster. But he didn't see the crew were going to keep coming down with malaria, leading man, heart attacks, firing the leader man, the civil war and all of the rest. So what was already an explosive high scale, mega budget, complicated production just kept going to twice the budget, twice the schedule, twice the length. You know, that crew was in the jungle for months. Mm. They maybe should Mm. have been expected. I don't know, two or three months. They ended up being there nine and 10 months. Um, But you know, Coppola went, there's no way Coppola didn't go as mad as the rest of them. How can you be in a jungle covering from malaria with Marlon Brando refusing to even read the script (laughs) and you're paying him $3 million and Dennis Hopper's whistling away in your ear while he's munching (laughs) on a load more acid. There's no way Coppola (laughs) didn't go mad along with them. Yet that genius filmmaker kept a hand on the reins to get the footage into the edit suite and then he could catch his breath and make this work stunning genius uh, yeah and judging by the fact that we've had redux and final cut and there's a and there's assembly cut out there as well they've mm-hmm. all got different footage that isn't available he, he shot an awful lot of extra footage as well in that yeah so to then yeah. put out a film of I'm trying to think what the runtime is i've got it written down somewhere what two and a half hours um the original cut it's 
it's impressive that he managed to get it to that from what he must have shot. I mean, there must be hundreds of hours of footage that he must have shot in those jungles in that time that possibly would never be used. I'm guessing all the Harvey Keitel stuff somewhere. So mm, That'd be interesting to see. Back in the day, that would have been a DVD extra. I'm not quite sure you might ever see something like that now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing just what he, he did with I'd those early scenes of Harvey Keitel, just, yeah, to, just to compare them. We mentioned Brando briefly, mm-hmm. so let's get back to Brando because I think he is an incredibly interesting character in this. He obviously is a massive actor at this point, and figuratively and literally and figuratively, and figuratively, yes, exactly, yeah. Because um, he apparently turned up overweight, high, drunk, as you say, refusing to read the script, all of those type of things. How how do you think Coppola managed to direct him and get the performance he did out of him? Because he is still an integral part of this, and I know that Coppola did a lot of writing around in the scenes to sort of make it so. Brando wasn't as big a figure. He lit him differently. He had him in different scenes in a different way. But he still gets an amazing actor to do an amazing job of what he does. He does, absolutely. Um, I wasn't really quite aware of who Marlon Brando was those first few times I saw them. You know, he's commonly regarded as the greatest screen actor of all time. Yeah. Um, Certainly the absolute inspiration of a generation. All of the the Robert De Niro's, Keitel's, Hoffman's, Nicholson's, they will have all bowed at the knee of uh, Marlon Brando in his heyday 50s. But, you know, he was washed up, gone and burnt all bridges, you know, famously difficult man, but Mm. brilliant man. They often go hand in hand, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And really, Brando was dead. He was unhirable until Coppola insisted he'd bring him in for The Godfather. So already Coppola has saved Brando once, but I'm not necessarily that convinced Brando really wanted saving too much. The fact that The Godfather script was so good and interesting was probably the difference machine. But I'm not of the opinion Brando was waiting for a paycheck from anyone. He was just going to go carrying on in his own mad sweet way. And so him and and, uh, Brando and Coppola formed a clear bond through through Godfather. Um, And then they're going to do it all over again with Apocalypse Now. Clearly, Coppola is in awe of Brando. He's clearly a believer, as so many are, that the greatest screen actor or greatest actor of the 20th century. Yep. And so he brings him in again, and I'm going to guess here that the frisson between the two of them, you get a sum that is greater than the, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I think somewhere within Brando being fucking difficult and <laughs> Coppola pulling his hair out, um, and they go, well, how about we try this? Well, I'm going to do this. Well, how about you do that and we add this? And it forces yeah. Coppola into a, you know, um, what's that wonderful quote? Um there's not some a Wells quote along the lines of uh, art is uh, working through restrictions. I'm paraphrasing it badly. Yeah. Uh, there is no art without restrictions. Yeah. And I just think Brando's the type of character who's really going to force you to bring the best art you can because he's going to bring restrictions up to and including not reading the goddamn script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, considering he didn't read the script, he's done a good job of reproducing some words that must have been in the script at some point, I guess. Yeah, there's this great quote. Uh, I had to remind myself it today. It's, um, I can't possibly do the voice, but I watched no, the snail crawl along the edge of a straight razor. That's my dream. That's my nightmare. Crawling, slithering along the edge of a straight razor and surviving. I mean, madness. Yeah, And it's delivered absolutely. to perfection. He shoots him in silhouette a huge amount of the time, yeah. a half yeah. light, half dark. There's a fragmented element to the way he shoots him that kind of adds to this sense of madness. Is this man a genius? Is he a, a mad king on a rye? Or is he just a crazy killer? I mean, Brando, as you say, he, he, I wasn't probably 
as aware of them. I think I, I might have seen The Godfather Part 1 before I saw this, so I was aware of him in that. But I wasn't aware of his back catalogue of work. So it was just this guy that was in The Godfather and now he's playing this silhouetted figure. And, you know, I guess at the time I saw it and I had no idea of the, all of the, the things that went through, you know, him being overweight and turning up not as Coppola was expecting him at all, not really wanting to shoot or anything like that. So it's amazing that what he does here is so good. I would have imagined, actually, you know, he's obviously it's on the waterfront, a streetcar named Desire. I mean, just ripped yeah. up the, the stage in the, these films. They are like Azam films, Tennessee Williams. Yeah. But actually, if I did recognise him in those early days, it was probably as Jarrell, Superman's dad, and Richard Donner's <laughs> Superman. You know, which he famously got like three million dollars for four days' work, and yeah. I think again, in, refused to read the script and deliver the lines as as directed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brando, I now appreciate his his place in film history in the firmament, but I didn't Absolutely. in the first time of watching this. No, no, I mean, he's he is an amazing actor, but yeah, first time watching it, he's just this figure, and yeah, he delivers some lines really, really well, as you've just paraphrased nicely or mentioned nicely. Um. I'm going to come to the other major character in this in my next bit because I know you've got lots to say about him. I'm going to do a very quick ad break just to remind people how to get in touch with the podcast. It's myfavoritefilmpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email address. Great way of getting in touch. Or find us on what used to be Twitter is now X at myfavfilm. Instagram, it's at myfavoritefilmpodcast. I say this every week. I should really have got all these the same thing, but I didn't. Um, Facebook, just search up My Favourite Film two pages there, there's the community page and normal page, and if you can't remember any of that, go to the website myfavouritefilm.com and you'll see all of those links are there The Craig Will Collaboration are the people who wrote and perform our wonderful theme tune their album, Long Way Home, is still available to buy, stream, download whatever like that, wherever you can get music Alfie is there anything you would like to sell at this point? Anything I would like to sell? Um, yeah. Or just tell well, us. Well, I, I, uh, I think I mentioned very briefly in the beginning, I'm the uh, writer, producer, presenter of three online comedy courses. So they're available on my website, wearefunnyproject.com. There's one there for beginners, stepping into stand-up. Uh, one for more advanced acts. I'd say people have been going at least a year, at least 100 gigs on the open mic circuit. That's stepping forward in stand-up. And that kind of speaks to what we're doing here because... I've used cinematic techniques to teach comedy methodology. So in my very early days of being a promoter, I very quickly realized so many of the skills of a comedian are the same as a filmmaker. They're effectively the world's lowest budget film director. But instead (laughs) of painting images for a screen, they're painting images in the audience mind. They are also their own producer, screenwriter, story by and leading role. And then both comedians and filmmakers are going to have to Consider things such as hair, makeup, wardrobe, marketing and publicity. They've got to navigate competitions, critics. And if you want to be a pro, you better get an agent. So I've actually used all so many of these elements of filmmaking to teach comedians how to move more, well, improve their writing and performance, but also move towards the paid and pro circuit. So that's how I found my beautiful overlap between my beloved cinema and my beloved comedy. So that's a cinematic system of stand-up called Stepping Forward in Stand-Up. And I've also got one for budding MCs, how to be... A brilliant stand-up comedy MC. I think the clue's in the title. I also do coaching yeah. through Zoom and the like. Everything's there on wearefunnyproject.com. But enough of that. Let's talk about Dennis Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question was going to be, who's your favourite character and why? 
But Dennis I know Hopper. the answer to this now. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely so, Dennis Hopper. Tell us then about your love of Dennis Hopper in this film, other than the fact that obviously he was high the whole way through it. Why yeah, is and Dennis it just Hopper shows. such a big... Just that's that the reason? Just It shows he was high. Yeah. Um, why Why is Dennis Hopper the, the best in this then? What What is it about his performance? He's a walking acid trip. I mean, the fact is, <laughs> I already had that impression before I even knew what acid was. Then I took acid at some point and then watched the film again at some point and all of a sudden it made sense on a new level. And then later on, I saw Filmmaker's Apocalypse, the documentary I've referred to, and I found out he actually was tripping. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense as well. And he's probably the most condensed aspect of a psychedelic experience embodied in a human being in cinematic history. He is hilarious. He is weird. He is bizarre. He is, you know, Dennis Hopper famously was mad off screen. He used to do a party trick where he would surround himself with five sticks of dynamite and stand in the middle and explode the dynamite at parties at Jack Nicholson's house. And there's something in physics where there was a tiny little safe space in the middle of these. But if you get it wrong, you're dead. And he used to do it all the time at Jack Nicholson's barbecues. You know, he he is a wild man anyway. Uh, And yeah, I mean, Jesus, a couple of get out of him, the wild madness that is Dennis Hopper. I mean, again, you know, he doesn't even have a character name. His character, he's just called photojournalist. He's really not in the film very much. And it's right towards the end. But he's the kind of man who greets Willard and the remnants of his crew and, you know, is kind of our introduction servile figure to Kurt, Kurt himself. Um, But again, just incredible, mad language delivered as manically and crazy as possible. And he's trying to describe the genius of Kurt to Willard, who's naturally sceptical. And it's it's hilarious and dark and twisted. But again, an amazing line. I can't do impressions. I'm no actor. But this line has always stuck with me. While describing Kurt, he says, the man is clear in his mind, but his soul is mad. Wow. I mean, amazing. You can spend weeks thinking about that. And I probably have over the last 30 or so years. Uh, Just manic brilliance. It really is. There's some comic relief in that, but he's not a silly character. And again, it made me a bit more curious about the Vietnam War. Who's, Who's this photojournalist? What is this? And he's a man who's been sent into the you know the the machine of war. He himself is a mad a madman, but he's no soldier. He's there to document nope. it, and he's lost his yeah. way just the same as everybody else. Because war is hell. War is madness. That's why his crazy and his manicness works so well in this. Because he's kind of like going, you know, even as someone who's not here to fight this war, uh, yeah, it's driving me as as crazy as everybody else who's mm-hmm. who's in here. You just get sucked in. It's a machine. It's it's some kind of terrible, uh, terrible kind of vortex that just sucks you in, takes your sanity and then your limbs and then your life. Yeah. And even the fact that the the government, I suppose, American government want to send in a photojournalist to document the fact that they are in this this never-ending um, war that was never going to work out for them. I well, suppose. actually, that's curious you mentioned that. First of all, I don't imagine he's a, an employee of the American government. No, I, I don't imagine he's he an is. employee yeah. of a newspaper or Time or News or so forth. But actually, there's a scene, Coppola gives himself a cameo role in the film. At one point, yeah. Willard and the crew have to go and pick up some supplies. And as yeah. they're coming on to land, there's a, there's a news crew filming, and you see the director going, keep moving, keep moving, just move through the shot. And that's Coppola himself doing that wow. kind of old Hitchcock trick of giving himself a cameo. Yeah, why not? You know, you've, you've spent a lot of money on a film, you may as well You're in the studio, it. you can play any part <laughs> yeah. you like. Do what you like, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's your favourite performance is in Hopper. 
So is the photojournalist also your favourite character or is there a, a person in there, a character in there that you think is a, a better character or is the photojournalist, is it, it's all Hopper? Uh, look, this film is packed with fantastic characters. The people on the boat, you've got the sous chef, you've got, you know, young Lawrence Fishburne. You know, he's only 17 years old when this film was being made. You know, he was Larry Fishburne uh, back yep. then. Uh, yep. You know, obviously Morpheus from the from the Matrix. Um, yeah. I think the quote that most people will go with, in fact, there's probably two quotes from the incredible Robert Duvall, also another survivor from the Godfather yeah, films yeah. that um, Coppola's brought back, much as with Brando, plays an incredible character called Colonel Kilgore, who's just yeah. like this wild colonel who, you know, as, as, as Martin Sheen's character says, you know, you just know he's going to leave this war without a scratch on him, even though yeah. he's right in the dirt. He's right up front and centre. And he's got two incredible lines. This huge explosion goes off right behind him. Yeah. And he doesn't flinch. I mean, just the stones on Robert Duvall. It's just human nature to flinch yeah. when Absolutely, something so yeah. loud and deadly goes off. He doesn't yeah. bat an eyelid. And then he just goes, I love that. Uh, so, someday this war is going to end. Uh, and then he's got, I love the smell of napalm in the morning is yeah. arguably the biggest quote from the film. It's the one he's also got, know, yeah. I think so, yeah. But there's also Charlie Don't Surf, you know, in the middle of a battle, him and his boys are going out on the reef and they're surfing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, his criticism of the Viet Cong is Charlie Don't Surf, which is a, a you know, famous popular quote from the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the film's just packed with great characters, oh. great dialogue. Everybody's having a field day, even though they're probably recovering from uh, malaria or some kind malaria. of malaise. Drugs. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> just Dennis over, Hopper just not shutting up for another week. <laughs> yeah, we're stuck with this guy for another week. Exactly, oh. yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite scene or a couple of favourite scenes? I think the ride of the Valkyries helicopter attack yeah. is up there with the yeah. absolute greatest non-CGI, in fact, therefore all action scenes ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. The finale with the Doors, I mean, the Doors soundtrack opens the film. Um, yeah. A little known fact, I don't know if you know this, Francis Ford Coppola and Jim Morrison were in the same film class at school together. But, I didn't uh, know that. Wow. Jim Morrison was obviously long dead by the time he made this, but yeah, they were friends yeah, back yeah. at film school. Um, I think the very opening, kind of the match edits, the dissolved match edits between the helicopter yeah. props and the uh, the ceiling fans, and we've just got this sweaty, dirty, grimy feel. You know, Martin Sheen's first words, "Saigon shit," and then yeah. we're in. You know, what is this? I'm going to get into right the way through to the finale. It's probably the least vegan-friendly finale of a film or climax of a film ever. <laughs> it's pretty full on if you're a vegan. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, again, no CGI, and they don't no. get to claim no animals were hurt in this film because no. they were. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but yeah, it just goes from brilliant scene to brilliant scene. There's a great shock in this movie as well, and I love watching it with people because they forget it. You know, there's that amazing scene in Jaws where the head pops out, and that's yes. the big jump when they're diving. Yeah. That's the big jump scene, and often people forget that. And I, I've watched Jaws with people that I've seen it with before but maybe 10 yeah. years earlier and they still yeah. jump at that scene yeah and apocalypse now has has something equally strong in it which i'm not going to give away of course but there is a big jump moment in apocalypse now that i don't think gets the kudos it deserves not the way that in the same way I'm that the trying, one does. trying to remember but i think yeah i think i remember it maybe I'll tell you when you we're can, off mic. I certainly don't want to spoil it for your mic. Yeah, don't want to spoil it. It's a truly brilliant jump scare in the whole of Hollywood history. I see it. It's, it's got some fantastic lines. And you're right. It goes from one good scene to another good scene to another good scene. Mm. And there's loads of things in it. There's no fat in this movie. 
every no. scene it just goes to something else that stands up on its own and yeah. then the next scene and it stands up on his own and then the fact is he's linked them all together I'm like, there is no weak spot yeah there isn't you're probably you're probably right i'm trying i'm trying to think now i mean i think because i was going to talk about redux uh because redux yeah. obviously they added what another 50 minutes or 55 minutes in this film something like that yeah. um i personally think that has got a little bit of fat in it that it's oh god yes it, it was <laughs> it that 55 does. minutes is just not really necessary i think the, the cut that came up with originally that theatrical cut is a, a really good cut of the film i wholeheartedly um, agree yes yeah what do you think of redux as a kind of for me it's wonderful because because it's one of my favorite movies i'm a completist yeah. you know i'm yeah. going to see aspects of the film that i haven't seen before they've got this whole sequence where they kind of uh, join some uh, French plantation owners, you know, because obviously Vietnam was a French territory and then the Vietnamese yeah. threw the French out and then we get into the Vietnam War, North versus South. But I kind of, I'd been to Vietnam in the interim before Redux came out. So I'd actually wised up on some of the history, but it would have been a fascinating way to learn that history through this yeah, yeah. Um, uh, expanded cut. But ultimately really interesting to me as somebody who loves that film, but I've only ever watched that film once. Like I got that extra bit of content and insight and then I left it alone. Each time I've watched it since in the last 22 years since that came out, Redux came yeah. out, other than seeing Final Cut because I wanted to see it. Yeah. Same story, by the way, longer and interesting to a purist, but not the version yeah. you want to see. If you if you haven't seen, if your listeners haven't heard, seen any version of Apocalypse Now, please do begin with the original theatrical cut. And yeah, if you I'll, love it, and you will, then later on, go and check out the expanded cuts. And then just as yeah. everybody else, put it aside and go back to the original. Yeah, I must admit, I, I feel the same way. I think I got, when Redux came out on DVD, I got Redux and, and watched it. And then I watched it the once, and that was it. That DVD mm -hmm. went back on the shelf and, and never got watched again. The original cut is a far superior cut. I think the final cut is not as long as Redux but it's slightly longer than the original. And it doesn't, I don't think it does anything extra that it isn't already there. It, I'm, glad, I'm glad it exists. It gives a purist yeah. like me, a completist like me, another angle. You know, it's yeah. not ever going to be a bad three and a half hours of my time. No, true. But true. fundamentally, I've seen it, I've absorbed it, I've moved on. Yeah. And when I move back, I'll always go back to the original theatrical. And then there is this, this assembly cut, which I must admit, I've never found anywhere, never seen it. But apparently it contains scenes that are not in any of the other three cuts. Do you know what an assembly cut is? It's it's the bit that basically they put together as soon as they're, they're editing exactly. this to go, this is what it yeah. could look like. But apparently that yeah. is available so somewhere. Exactly. So that's a guide edit. You're exactly right. That's what an assembly cut is. Yeah. And therefore that's a guide edit. And typically that's where they begin and then they start chopping around and go, okay, we've got a camera from this angle. We want this coverage, but we want this angle over here. They won't have done sound mixes. There'll be no special effects in, in an assemblage right. cut. It is yeah. exactly what you said. It is the very first pull together and they go, right, this is where we're going to go off script, change this, change that. So, I mean, that's an extreme curiosity that yeah. even somebody at my level of care and interest, I'm not sure I care to see an assemblage because there'll be no pacing, no music, yeah. no music mixes, no special effects. And this is not a special effects heavy film. No, it's not. Except for film. actual explosions, which are <laughs> special effects, but in the yeah. pure classic sense of it. So yeah. I'd not heard of this assembly cut. And even yeah. if it was presented to me, I'm not sure I want to watch it because no, I'm probably going to see was... the cigarette burns, the watermarks. It won't be color graded. No. Yeah, I was, I was a bit like that myself. I was just out, I was just doing some digging at the difference between Redux, I suppose, and the original cut. Because I thought, I've not seen them both. But mm -hmm. didn't know what it was, and then this this came up as a kind of oh, and there's also this assembly cut, 
and there's loads of people talking about how great it is. And oh, really? Book. So it's how got positive buzz? Yeah. Uh, online, you can find people saying it. It's a fantastic um, uh, You can find anybody film. saying anything yeah. online. Is it a consensus that. opinion that it's good? There are several that have seen the, the assembly cut that say it is a good cut of the film, that there is stuff okay. in there that is not anywhere else. But I do still think the same as you there, that it hasn't got any of the sound in it. It hasn't got the colour grain. It's going to be a very, very rough cut of the film, effectively. It is, of course, possible to go back and restore it, though. Maybe I'm drawing a conclusion that they didn't grade and mix and so forth. Maybe, yeah. you know, Coppola's got the resources and he's had 40 years. <laughs> Maybe he has indeed <laughs> yeah. gone and post-produced the assembly uh, assembly edit. Um, maybe, I, maybe I, I, I'm going to give you a big kiss when I see you in real life, Gav, whenever that might be. If you <laughs> if you find out that the Prince Charles Cinema, or maybe the National Film Theatre, is, is showing Apocalypse Now, and you make your way to London for that, let me know, right. I will join you, and I'll give you a big, fat, wet kiss on your forehead. <laughs> because you've brought my attention to this, and you get two <laughs> fat, wet kisses on your forehead, if I like it. Right, I'll be okay. Googling this straight after this interview. Thank you for drawing my attention to it. It could be Go incredible. For it. It could Go be goddamn awful. If it's goddamn awful, please don't blame no me for kisses. that. No kisses. <laughs> no kisses at all. Ah, okay. No wet kisses. <laughs> I can't be blamed for it if it's awful, I'm sure. But it, it's got to have something to it. How can you make it awful? I'm curious. I'm a completist. Um, yep. You know, if it's four and a half hours of my time, so be it. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Let, let's see if that's something you want to watch. There's loads of cuts out there there's loads of stuff i keep mentioning remakes on the, the podcast because hollywood love their remake this is one that it's not been remade it's been spoofed a lot a lot i'm, a I'm lot. aware of one well, well the, the, the best two, one I, yeah my, my favorite one is of is hot is hot shots part two where actually you get charlie sheen and charlie sheen with his dad yeah at the same time which is, is brilliant but I don't suppose it's not been lampooned a lot. Scenes that you've seen in this have been used elsewhere or been homaged elsewhere. I can imagine that's um, why. I can't think of any, but I'm sure The Simpsons must have done a ride uh, of the Valkyries yeah, or something. You well, know, it just feels like that would have happened. Yeah, even Disney's um, Jungle Book, when you find King Louie. So that the live action version. If oh, I was going to say, you literally have slipped through time. One's a 1960s film, the other one's a yeah. 1979. Sorry, the, Sorry, the, the live-action Disney, the one with this... the guy from Bruce Lee and to the dragon. Um... No, 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 no. Uh, the Disney one was, it, it, they say live-action, but actually it's just CGI. Oh, the really recent one, because Disney did another live-action one in the yeah. 90s. Literally yeah, live-action, really human actors. One. This is um, like the animated John Favreau type yeah. of ones. So I've when we see... That. Yeah, when you see King Louis in that, they've basically riffed completely on Marlon Brando. Um, Have they really? Absolutely, he's in shadow. You see him just shot oh, in exactly wow. the right way. Um, and it, I mean, that is a wonderful homage to this film. But remake. Guess who's guess who's getting a third wet kiss <laughs> on his forehead, Gav? You little beauty. Uh, yeah, I've not seen any of the live action remakes of the Disney animated oh. classics. I've not seen one of them. Not that I'm against well, them i just haven't watched them it's um, christopher walken. i will be watching that now thank you for drawing that to my attention yeah. is it it's... commonly known that that's a homage to apocalypse now or are you I... just so savvy that you made the link i i don't know actually i'll be honest with you and say that's not something i've, I've researched i watched it and went that's and you clocked apocalypse it. now there <laughs> all right okay brilliant yeah. i'll be watching that thank yeah, you it's, it's christopher walken as well christopher walken playing king louis so he's got... <laughs> i didn't know that either oh, okay pff. It's it's brilliant. I, I bet mean, King it, Louis is doing a lot of dancing than tap dancing, is he? <laughs> no, because he's a really, really fat, overweight, bald guy. So they actually made him into Marlon Brando on screen. 
Okay, all right. So you're asking me about remakes. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Do you think this is something they should even think about remaking for a second? Clearly not, no. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's something of that purist, slightly dickish film geek thing where they say things should never be remade. Yeah. Um, I'm not typically of that opinion. Um, yeah. I love the original Karate Kid. It's a great film from 1984, but they remade yeah, yeah, yeah. it with Jaden Smith, and it's yeah. equally as good. Equally yeah. as good. As in, they're yep. both genuinely brilliant, inspiring films, particularly if you're probably a 12 or a 13-year-old. Um, yeah. And so there's a good example of, the, of them remaking a film. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples of remakes that have worked. Not plenty, but there's a handful. I know they did yeah. the Thing sequel and loads of, you know, the, the other complaint is when they make a sequel to a precious film. And when The Thing sequel well, came out... The, I, I, the Thing is a, a remake itself, isn't it? You know, The Thing is a Yes, The Thing from Another called, World, exactly. The Thing from Another World. Yeah. So the fact that that is another one where a remake, it's actually, it was a good thing, because it yeah. is a... Yeah, exactly movie. right. Exactly yeah. right. So the, the, the John Carpenter's Thing is a remake of The Thing from Another World. One's a black yeah. and white, low-budget, schlocky thing, and then the other yeah. one's genius. Uh, yeah. Carpenter's version's genius. And then they went to go and make the sequel for it, I guess, 10, 12 years ago now. Uh, like some it, of yeah. my film geeky mates were moaning, how dare they, how could they? I'm like, sure, wait and see, give it a chance. Turned out yeah, yeah. it was absolute bollocks. It was absolutely <laughs> terrible. But I was willing to give it a pass. You know, let's yeah. give them a chance. People yeah. have... When I first heard they were doing Top Gun 2, like five yeah. years ago, yeah. I, and I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. I cannot stress to you how much I rate Tom Cruise. I will argue all day long for anybody who slugs off Tom Cruise. You've just got to look at that film career, the, the yeah. risks he's taken, the, yeah. the talent he's chosen to work with and then picked up yeah. and championed. I can do it all day long. But when I heard they were making Top Gun 2, a really important film for my teen years, I literally said out loud, that is just a stupid idea. That can't possibly yeah. be true. As yeah. it was, when Maverick came out, I was underwhelmed compared to the rest of the world. But that's primarily because the rest of the world absolutely bloody loved it. Yeah, That, at first glance, seemed like a terrible idea, and it worked out. So remakes, yeah. homages, sequels, all of this, by and large, I'm very accepting of it by your yeah. standard movie geek level who tend to be purist and negative. Um, <laughs> in the case of Apocalypse Now, no way. Absolutely not. There's no way of getting a cast like that together again. I mean, yeah, they're all nearly all dead. Martin yeah. Sheen aside, and Lawrence Fishburne aside, and um, you know you're not going to get that madness on there. And the tragedy is, unless they get Chris Nolan to do it, is actually that might be acceptable. Chris Nolan is the one I could accept doing it because he's not going to pack it with CGI. He's going to go the mad route. Again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So with a Christopher Nolan allowance, if he goes for it, I'm in. Even a Ridley Scott wouldn't do justice to it. And I'm sure no, he's the so. first person to say as much. Kubrick could maybe have pulled it off, but he's gone yeah. as well. Yeah. So under the caveat that only Christopher Nolan can have a shot at it and there's no CGI, yes. Okay. Otherwise, absolutely not. And I never asked you if I could swear on this podcast, but presumably Fine. I can because I just yeah. did. And if I yeah. can't, you'll just beat me. That's the exactly. beautiful element of modern There's... digital technology. Yeah. No fucking way. <laughs> is the answer to one... should they remake Apocalypse Now? Yeah. Does anybody ever I'm... say yes when you um, ask that question? Has anybody uh, ever said yes? There's been a I couple who've, they said, who've gone, do you know what? No, I don't think they should, but if they did, I'd do this. Much right. like you've just done, you basically caveated it and said... With Nolan and no CGI, yeah. With okay. Nolan and no CGI, we could do it. So, given that Nolan has been allowed to remake Apocalypse Now, and he's going to do it with no CGI, very, very similar to the original script, probably. Who would you cast it with? Well, since we're going down this path, I would like for it to be a mashup 
of <laughs> Apocalypse Now and Bugsy Malone. Okay, so you can only cast <laughs> child actors. Okay, so I want to see some fat Augustus Gloop type twelve year old in the role of Kurtz. Um, some kid that was probably in Grange Hill in another life can be Willard. Um, I don't know the names of these child actors, but just, just very child talented actors. child actors. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and do we that's make a musical as well? Is, is that uh, that's Christopher Nolan's decision? You know, now <laughs> Alan Parker's gone, he's got a chance to fill yet another void of cinematic genius. Um, yeah, that's the casting I go for. Merely okay. children, primarily Ch- child, fat ones. Child act, fat child actors. Fat child Over. actors. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Apart that's, from Willard, that's... he can be thin. Okay, so everyone other than Willard is a fat child actor. Yeah, Willard because they're on a boat, you thin. see. So if mainly they're fat, it'll increase the tension because they're kind of yeah. uh, feeling more claustrophobic together on the yeah. boat. Okay, I think that's going to be quite silly, but I, I do want to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> but would you watch that movie? I'd be I think tempted. you would. Yeah, that, do you know what? I, I think, think I probably would. would. It, it, it's, it's a remake of Apocalypse Now, but we've done it with fat child actors. And Christopher um, Nolan and, Chris and no Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I'd, I'd watch it straight away. I'd be there. Not only cinema. would you watch it, you're there opening night, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be there. I'd be there to see Excellent. it. Definitely. It sounds brilliant. Um, I I'm hope Nolan's send... listening. Chris... Uh, yeah, I'm going to send, if he's not, I'm sending an email to him just to say, yeah. you need to remake Apocalypse Now. Tell him Alfie Noakes has got an idea. <laughs> clear, your, clear your calendar. Absolutely. It's brilliant. About 10 months with malaria in the middle of the Philippines would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason to get fat kids because they can lose weight during production. It'll be better for their health. <laughs> <laughs> Might kill continuity, though. <laughs> whoever the modern version of the kid that played Augustus Gloop in the Gene Wilder original of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, whoever that's... the modern equivalent of that kid is, right. he's Kurt. Right. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. I, I could speculate <laughs> I about child actors all day, but I probably should stop. Probably best to, yes, best to. Is there anything we've missed, anything else you want to mention about this wonderful one? I know you've said already you could talk all day about it, but is there anything that you just, I must mention this, this, this? Well, I have mentioned it already, but I would absolutely remind your listeners to check out the documentary that goes with it, A Heart yeah. of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse. It's There's also one that, as, as behind-the-scenes film documentaries make, it's, it's probably the best, and I've seen most of them. Another yeah. great one, is the hamster factor, which is uh, yeah. from the Twelve Monkeys, uh, Terry Gilliam yeah. film about literally not being able to get a hamster to move in a wheel. You know yeah. the disasters yeah. that hit the Apocalypse Now set. You know they were they, they were hit by a hurricane and it was all the sets were blown down. I mean you couldn't make this stuff up most of the time. The only other filmmaker that historically has this level of disaster on his set is Terry Gilliam. Um, and yeah. look, I would actually recommend going to the source material for Apocalypse Now. I must say I had extraordinarily luck with the context of how I read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. I was traveling right. down the Nile on a felucca, a traditional wow. sailing boat in Egypt, whilst reading that book. I mean, the set and setting was perfect. Wow. Um, wow. But nonetheless, it is a remarkably good book on its own. I think it's only about 120, 140 pages. It's not a deep, right. heavy read. It's not a big one. No, but, um, you know, you probably get through it in two or three sittings, depending on how yeah. you read, of course. But yeah. the source book is fantastic. That leads nicely to the film. One does not need the other. And then yeah. having watched the film, please do visit Heart of Darkness, a filmmaker's yeah, apocalypse cool. by Eleanor yeah. Coppola. It is just riveting. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm certainly going to find that now and go and watch that documentary. Probably. Well, I'm going to go watch The Jungle Book. I'm going to go watch The Assemblage. <laughs> and I'm going to go and start storyboarding Fat Kids and the Apocalypse Now remake. <laughs> Which sounds brilliant. Yeah. 
yeah, you do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll come on board if you need any help at all. That'd be brilliant. The bit at the end then, um, that I do this at the end of every episode, and some people find it easy, some people find it hard. Can you sell the film for me in about 30 seconds? If you would like to see the most dynamic, high-action, gusto-scale production for one of the greatest film directors, acknowledged greatest film directors of all time, taking the acknowledged screen acting master of all time, bringing in some of the finest talent, but roping in the Philippine Air Force and Army because CGI just doesn't cut it. He literally needs the entire military resources of a third world nation in turmoil to bring his vision to the screen with a script written by the actual madman John Milius, who is somewhere between insane wrestling man and a Shakespearean uh, actor who brings these words to life through the mouths of mad people uh, who have been dipped in acid, such as Dennis Hopper. This is the film for you. Ladies and gentlemen, sit yourself down. It's Apocalypse Now time. Brilliant. Was that 30 seconds? It was more than 30 seconds. To time it. But was it? Was, was it, I very it was about, far over? It was about 45. Oh, really? I've yeah. got to start speaking uh, 50% quicker, it seems. <laughs> I, I was just, I looked at my little time there. You were on 11 seconds when we started. So there you go. It, it's fine. Don't worry. I've had people that have I'm not remotely it. worried. Three <laughs> words. Yeah, three words to two minutes. So, you know. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Anywhere in between is absolutely fine. I did say about 30 seconds. So there you go. It's amazing, actually. I realise, reflecting on what I just said, I never once mentioned Vietnam. And I don't think I even said war, did I? No, nope, you didn't. I don't listen to myself. I don't expect you to. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention those things and you didn't mention Dennis Hopper until the last two seconds. So, you know, yeah, because he's I was the pinky, the finale, he's a sweet taste ah. in the mouth that the audience should be excited about. I was kind of expecting you to go, Dennis Hopper in a film on drugs. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a pitch, but not 30 or 45 yeah. seconds worth. No, true. But that is the type of thing I've had in the past. So, there you go. That's great. Thank you very much for coming on. It has been a pleasure talking to you about this film. It's Always nice on this show when I get someone who is absolutely passionate about the film. It's amazing how people just can just not talk about the film that they're supposedly is their favourite film, but you obviously love this to bits. Just remind people where they can find you. Everything's pretty much at uh, the website. Wearefunnyproject.com. That's got all um, free videos, blogs, um, samples from the courses. Everything you need is there. Wearefunnyproject.com. My name is Alfie Noakes. Excellent. I shall put links to that in the show notes. I think that's it. So May I say one extra thing, actually? Go just on, on that please. same thing. If people go to the website, there's a free ebook for comedians and or budding comedians. So if they leave their email address, they get a free book packed with information on how to perform and write comedy. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Brilliant. Anything free is always good. So brilliant. Thanks for that. Okay. Except Thank chlamydia. you very much for your time. Pardon? Except <laughs> chlamydia. <laughs> yes. Okay. Most things free are really good. Do you want to re-record the end here or do you want to leave it there? <laughs> well, leave it. I like it. It'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on tonight and bye-bye for now. Gav, remember, when I see you, two wet kisses if I like those movies. Thank you, mate. Okay. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I watched a snail crawl along the edge a straight razor. That's my dream. It's my nightmare. Crawling, slithering along the edge of a straight razor.
surviving. This podcast was brought to you using Zencaster. It's a super easy way to record your podcasts. Just log into a browser, start recording, and a high-quality podcast is on its way to you. Recording studio quality audio and up to 4K video. It's fantastic, okay? It works brilliantly from just within your browser. You don't need any special software or anything like that. It's just a marvelous, marvelous thing. There's also options within it to get rid of the ums, the ahs, the blank spaces, whatever, things like that. They'll also host your podcast. You can edit your podcast on there. Everything like that. Zencaster. Wonderful piece of software. Wonderful people. Wonderful way of getting your podcast off the ground. If you're interested in having a podcast and getting in touch and getting it started, go to zencaster.com slash pricing. Use the special code for this podcast. That's MFF, where you'll get 30% off your first month. Wow. Zencaster, by the way, is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. There is no E in that. Get yourself along Zencaster, see what it's like, maybe give it a try. It's a wonderful software, like I say, it's great for doing audio and video calls and recording them all to get on a podcast. That's what I use. You could use it too. All the details for this are in the show notes. Check out those show notes. Remember that code, MFF, nice and easy, my favorite film. (laughs) 